Appalachia. Appalachia is a very distinct word, and everybody has their own opinion of what it represents. Moreover, though, whether it's right or wrong, it stirs up images of everything from indescribable mountaintop beauty, deep forest, and cabins in the wood to trailer parks, meth heads, extreme prejudice, and xenophobia. The fact that one word can bring up such a huge response is an owed to its far-reaching influence in society. The Appalachian Mountains are the oldest mountains in the world. They once towered 30,000 feet into the air and currently stretch from Canada through 14 states all the way to Louisiana. The inhabitants of these mountains through the many years of their existence have lived through and witnessed what can only be described as horrendous, demeaning, and even downright unbelievable history as we are now learning every day is not exactly what we've been told and what was once thought to be nothing more than fairy tale is now coming to light as truth. I often hear references to the movie Deliverance or people making funny banjo sounds when describing the Appalachians. I, being born and raised in these mountains, know that nothing in fact could be more wrong or, in some cases, more right. The history that lies in these mountains is rich and has been around longer than any place in the United States. In fact, far longer than the United States itself. We'll look into these mountains and learn about the good, the bad, and the ugly history that lies within them to this very day. Hello, I'm Larry Bentley, and this is Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend. Welcome back, my good friends, and please give me a listen as I tell you a tale from deep in the woods of Kentucky, where a fiercely private family gave birth to blue-skinned children since the 1800s. The color of their skin was so shocking for normal people to see that they chose to stay hidden away from the rest of society in their small community. Very few people even knew they existed. This is the story of the Blue Fugates of Troublesome Creek. If you look at a map of Kentucky, you can see where it intersects with Virginia and West Virginia. Looking a bit closer, you can pick out a place called Hazard, which is in Kentucky. Just east and slightly north of Hazard is a small town called Troublesome Creek. For those who may not know this area, well, it's deep in the Appalachian Mountains, and when I say deep, You'd really have to go there to fully understand what I'm saying. In 1820, a very unique man named Martin Fugate migrated to the United States from France. He wanted to settle down for a new life in Troublesome Creek, Kentucky, because the United States offered free land to people willing to settle it. He was born with blue skin, and his family had abandoned him at an orphanage when he was a baby for that very reason. They couldn't handle raising such a different child, and even as an adult, he opted to help settle the wilds of Kentucky where nobody would ever see him. Once he was in Kentucky, he met and married a red-haired woman named Elizabeth Smith. Even though they were from different countries and the odds were probably a billion to one that they both carried the recessive gene for an extremely rare condition known as methemoglobinemia. 
and that's my last attempt at saying that one. Martin and Elizabeth Fugate would go on to have seven children together, and four of them were born with blue skin. Even those who looked normal were carriers of the recessive gene that caused the disorder. Despite having this incredibly different skin color, they were physically just as healthy as anyone else, if not more. They lived to be in their 80s and 90s without ever suffering heart or liver disease of any kind. At that time, the number of people who took advantage of the land grants and founded the village of Troublesome Creek was incredibly small. There were only four other families besides a few gates, the Combs, the Stacys, the Riches, and the Smiths. Most of the founders were already married, and there were not enough single people going around for every one of the children to have a partner. So one of Martin and Elizabeth's sons, Zachariah, married Elizabeth's sister. Yes, you heard that correctly. She, he married his own aunt. Those, you know, this close relation triggered one of the bloodlines with the highest percentages of blue skin disorder that was so strong that the blue skin lasted in their generations after for over 150 years. Normally, the disorder is so rare that the condition would no longer show up in the children of the next generation, but the town of Cru- Troublesome Creek was so small that they didn't even have official roads. People lived in log cabins that were closely clustered together, and there wouldn't be a railroad anywhere nearby for new families to come in until 1912. Since there wasn't a huge variety in the gene pool, there was a lot of interbreeding going on with people marrying their first and second cousins. The predisposition to be born with the disorder kept passing on to each new generation. They were so isolated that there wasn't anybody else to take as a wife or a husband, and to make matters worse was a flood that came in the late 1800s, washing out all the surrounding trails, making any visitation from anybody outside the community so rare that the whole town would come out and see the stranger if and when one ever showed up. The folks who were born with blue skin were embarrassed. Even though their families accepted them, they knew that the rest of the world wouldn't. For this reason, they didn't even want their picture taken, and they didn't want to become a subject of medical experiments either. I can't blame them. Who's got time to let doctors poke and prod all over you for hours at a time? So they continued to live deep in the woods for fear of being called a monster. Some of the pink-skinned family members moved away in the 1900s, but for those who stayed within their comfort zone of Troublesome Creek, it only forced them to continue picking someone to marry from one of the four families that were there originally. This meant the blue skin kept coming back with every generation. In the late 1950s, a hematologist named Martin Kaywine from the University of Kentucky, who was his own granddaddy of a story to start with, and we'll get to that in another episode later on, he was so fascinated with the stories of the Blue Fugate family that he decided to move near Troublesome Creek in hopes of maybe meeting one of them one day. Now, hematologists, of course, they study blood. For So for him, the idea of blue-skinned people was like making a life-changing discovery that could make his name go down in history. 
which it actually does, and you'll find out later just why it wasn't exactly for the reason he wanted it to. Since his family was so secretive, no one knew where they lived. He would drive around to medical clinics and hospitals, asking other medical professionals if they'd ever met a blue fugate. One day, Dr. K. Wine met a nurse named Ruth Pendergrass, and he heard the story he had been waiting for for a while. Ruth told the story of a woman who showed up at the doctor's office, but instead of walking through the front lobby, she knocked on one of the back doors. She acted as if she was trying to hide herself from the public and asked for a routine blood test. It was very cold outside, and this woman's face and fingernails were deep indigo blue. Ruth Pendergrass immediately became concerned for the woman. She was terrified, thinking that her blue skin was an indication that she was maybe going to die of a heart attack, or maybe she was freezing to death. The blue woman quickly explained that she had a skin condition that ran in her family and urged her not to be concerned. Her last name was Combs, and her maiden name was, sure enough, Fugate. After locating the Combs family in a town near Troublesome Creek, it was called Ball Creek, Dr. K. Wine went more than a little bit crazy over the excitement of finally meeting the blue-skinned people. He trudged through the woods at random until he spotted a blue-skinned person. As soon as he saw him, he began yelling at him and to stop and ran after him. Now, we hillbillies know how this works. Stranger in the woods means run. If you saw a random stranger chasing you in the woods, you'd run too. He didn't exactly have a very good approach planned, but the actual location of these villages in the middle of nowhere was unknown to anybody except for those who lived there. I'll be right back. You're listening to Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend with Larry Bentley. Now more determined than ever to meet another blue-skinned person, Dr. K. Wine decided it was a better plan to simply stick around town for a while, let things calm down, hoping that eventually one of the family members would need to go to the doctor again. After all, the blue-skinned woman had a good experience with Ruth Pendergrass, so she had gained a reputation of being trustworthy and non-judgmental. One day, Dr. K. Wine got lucky because two siblings named Patrick and Rachel Ritchie showed up to see the nurse Pendergrass. Dr. K. Wine began to run some tests and asked them a million questions. He determined that they didn't have heart or lung disease and he wanted to map out their family tree. Now I can say here that this probably didn't go over a lot better than sneaking up on them in the woods, but Patrick and Rachel were visibly uncomfortable and embarrassed by all the personal questions and they expressed that they didn't want to be blue but that they were born that way. Finally, after everything calmed down a bit, Dr. K. Wine ran some blood tests. He realized that they didn't have abnormal hemoglobin, which shot his theory in the compost heap because that's what he thought the problem was. After going, doing some research, he found a similar case in Anchorage, Alaska, where a different doctor had found cases of blue-skinned people in the some of the indigenous people living there. They were missing an enzyme, so their blood was not oxygenated properly. Dr. K. Wine ran a blood test, which confirmed that the fugates were also missing the same enzyme. 
So he created a substance called methylene blue, and Patrick and Rachel Ritchie agreed to allow him to inject them with it. The doctor called his invention a, an electron donor, which carried the oxygen to the blood that they were missing. For the first time in their lives, the siblings began to turn a normal shade of pink. They were absolutely thrilled to finally look normal, but unfortunately, the effects, effects were temporary. Methylene blue leaves the body after one goes to the bathroom. Dr. K. Wine gave them tablets they could take on a daily basis or whenever they wanted to go out in public without blue skin. In the 1900s, a few gates were no longer forced to intermarry in their community and would find partners at work and school. The blue skin disappeared into future generations of the Fugate family. The last descendant to be born with blue skin was Benji Stacy in Lexington, Kentucky. Doctors were horrified to see that the boy's skin was so blue, it was practically purple. They ran several tests and were getting ready to give him a blood transfusion when his grandmother jumped in to explain that she was from the Fugate line. Since Benji was farther removed from the bloodline and he had modern science on his side and his skin became rosy shade of pink after a month. Curiously though, when he gets angry or when it's cold outside, his skin begins to turn blue again. S several Fugate members were interviewed in a medical book called Traits and Fates and all of them eventually came to accept the color of their skin and to the point where it was normal. Benji's mother, Hilda Stacy, shrugged it off, saying it's common, it's nothing. At least to their family. It was to be expected, and they still loved and accepted each other. To them, all that mattered was that everybody in their family lived a long, happy life. Once Dr. K. Wine published the case in the medical journal, journalists began to request interviews with Hilda Stacy, but they were always rude, asking very personal and judgmental questions about her family inbred history. Film crews from Hollywood attempted to bring in cameras to make a documentary, but they were met with angry, hungry guard dogs that scared them out of the Kentucky woods. Because of this, there are very few photographs that exist of the Blue Fugates, at least in the public eye. Dr. K. Wine was truly lucky to have met Patrick and Rachel Ritchie and finally solved the mystery of the Blue Fugates. After this, he was able to consult for a few isolated cases of blue-skinned people in the United States and give them the tablets to change your skin color. The case of the Blue Fugates was a perfect storm of rural backcountry mixed in with rare recessive genes and inbreeding, and if this had only happened once, the story of the blue-skinned people would be written off as nothing but a fairy tale or maybe an urban legend. It makes similar stories like the Green Children of Woolput suddenly sound more credible. If it's possible for humans to have blue skin, why not green? We may never see another blue-skinned person born again in the future, but at least we have the Fugates to help us remember that it truly did exist. I hope you've enjoyed our story today. If you have, please rate and review the podcast, and don't forget to subscribe, please. Please go over to our Patreon page at patreon.com. Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend and give it a look. If you'd like to join, there are several levels to choose from, starting at Mountain Boomer all the way up to Appalachian Hillbilly. We post early commercial-free episodes and 
there and along with exclusive content like the story of the squonk and story of the raven mocker or you can go to facebook group appalachian murder mystery and legend podcast where we can discuss anything appalachian or whatever else you'd like to talk about i'll be back soon with another appalachian murder mystery or legend i'll see you then